Well, check it out, y'all. We got what you need. We're all living in apartments, condos, vans. Well, dude, even you can have a studio. A studio in a box. Yes, we can help you with that right here at Blind Knowledge. We work on your budget, and we figure out your measurements. We'll get you the best sound for the best price. Let me know, 877-237-1143 or at blindknowledge.com. Yep. You know what's cool? Podcasts. You know what's not cool? No podcasts. Check out all the podcasts over here at blindknowledge.com. This podcast you're listening to right now is a featured Blind Knowledge podcast. All right, all right, all right. Hello, everyone. If you're on the Eastern Standard Coast and the Eastern Standard Time Zone, it's 1.59 p.m. Hope your day is going beautifully and smoothly. And if you're not on the Eastern Standard Coast, it doesn't matter. I'm just hoping you're doing okay. Maybe you're sleeping. Maybe you're maybe you're listening to this in your dreams. Hey, my name is Joey B. I do Blind Knowledge. This is the Blind Knowledge Podcast. Thanks again for joining us. We have a really, really special guest on uh, that's going to be coming on in just a sec. Doc, uh, Lynn, uh, Dr. Yaff, does E... PR Technologies. Have you ever heard of that? Me neither, but we're going to learn a lot about it, and I think they save lives. So, listen to this one, especially if you're in the medical field. I think you're going to dig it. We're going to bring them on right now. Lynn, how you doing? I'm doing great. Nice to be with you. I'm glad you're here. Let's get right into it. EPR Technologies, what is it? EPR stands for Emergency Preservation and Resuscitation. It's about saving a life when standard cardiopulmonary resuscitation fails, meaning chest compressions, mouth-to-mouth breathing, defibrillation. If someone uh, is a trauma victim and their heart stops or sudden cardiac arrest for any reason, the paramedics or a bystander would do standard CPR and try defibrillation if there's a defibrillation nearby. And if that fails, You know, you can try doing CPR on a person for 10, 20, 30 minutes, however long, uh, or until the paramedics arrive, they can continue to try. But if it fails, that's it. Unfortunately, uh, you've passed away. PR is about one more attempt to save a life when standard cardiopulmonary resuscitation fails by using rapid, profound hypothermia. You cool the body down, the vital organs, the body down with an ice cold flush, and you lower the body temperature to 10 degrees Celsius or 50 degrees Fahrenheit in, let's say, 10 minutes or less. And at that cold temperature, it's not freezing, you're not frozen, and it's much colder than what they call mild hypothermia, which is only a couple of degrees below normal. But when we do profound hypothermia at that low temperature, 10 degrees Celsius, you have no brain waves, your heart's not beating, you're not breathing, obviously, but there is still cellular life. Your cells and your vital organs are still alive. You're sort of in a temporary suspended animation. And you can stay that way the length of time in the clinical trial that's ongoing is three hours. You could probably go five hours. But during that three hours, 
you know, there's no, you don't have to worry about chest compressions or delivering oxygen because you're in a very low metabolic state and your cells can stay alive. Is my heart still pumping at that point? No, your heart has stopped. There, there's no cardiac function. There's no breathing. There are no brain waves. You sort of appear clinically dead, but individual cells, the cells in your brain, the cells in your heart, your liver, your kidneys, they're still alive because the temperature has uh, been lowered. Uh, and then you're transported, surgery done, and you're resuscitated. And I can go into more of that. But let, let me mention that anecdotally, people have probably heard that a healthy skier might get covered in an avalanche and then the rescuers find them in a reasonable period of time, let's say a few hours, and then they're able to resuscitate them by rapidly rewarming those people. It doesn't occur successfully all the time. I don't know how many cases there are like that during the year, but that's been reported in the medical literature. And it's because the body is cooled down so fast that oxygen and heartbeat is not needed for a short period of time, like three hours. It's also happened that a child might fall into a cold Great Lake in the middle of winter and the divers find them. And because they've cooled down so quick and they didn't need oxygen and, and no vital functions during that, they're able to reward them and resuscitate them. So now we try to do the same thing in a patient who's been traumatized maybe an automobile accident, and they've bled to the point of going into cardiac arrest, or they're a gunshot victim, and they've bled to the point of going into cardiac arrest, and they've lost so much volume of blood that CPR doesn't work. Now, what we want to do is deliver rapid, profound hypothermia, cool them down, and buy time for one more attempt to uh, save the life uh, with surgical repairs and resuscitation. So Lynn, let me ask you this. Let's say I'm a paramedic, right? And I'm responding to a crash that just happened on the highway. Let's say someone, he just flew out of his car and unfortunately CPR just isn't working for him. What does the paramedic do to actually uh, utilize this EPR tactic? You have to, whether it's a paramedic or as being done in the clinical trial, whether it's a trauma surgeon, you know, the technique let's say will be basically the same. And the company hopes, and I can go into a more hopes to automate the techniques as much as possible. But the paramedic would come on the scene and would attempt CPR, obviously, standard CPR, chest compressions, mouth to mouth, or using a, a, a ambu bag, you know, uh, to squeeze and breathe. Uh, they might have time or, or if there are two of them, start some IV fluid, uh, uh, a tried defibrillation, but if enough volume of blood has been lost and they can't give volume fast enough, CPR fails. If the paramedic feels that that's going to be the case, you know, they can make a judgment and artificial intelligence is coming along uh, as soon that'll help with triage and measuring parameters. The paramedic, either before they give up on CPR or while they're doing CPR and they feel defibrillation has not worked, they must gain access to the arterial system. They have to put a large bore catheter, large bore, let's say the size of your index finger, into the arterial system. They can do that 
into a femoral artery. They can do it into a carotid artery. They can do that uh, in um, a, a large vessel in the arm. And it's even possible, and that's what we're also able to do, is to inject a vessel, uh, uh, the aorta, into the descending aorta using ultrasound. That can be done. So in other words, given the techniques and the ability to do that kind of ultrasound, if you can't place it in a femoral vessel, depending on the injuries, to get something into the aorta, or the heart, so to speak, so that you can now rapidly pump in ice cold saline. This would be saline, uh, physiological saline, salt water, uh, in a sense, which they give IV, you know, in the hospital. But uh, we would pump in rapidly a large amount of ice cold saline. It ice could cold. Be okay. Ice cold, two degree, you know, uh, one, two degrees Celsius. Okay, that's pretty cold. Yes. It's very cold. And remember, the patient is unconscious uh, because of whatever injuries they've So had. they're not going to feel anything at this point. They're, they're not going to feel anything. Okay. So that's pumped in uh, rapidly with, uh, with a pump, and the paramedics have to carry with them sufficient cold solution. It can be 20 or 30 liters, and they can pick that up at what bay they park in. Or but would they store it in dry ice? No, it would be on, you know, usually the major um, ambulances, they're able to plug their vehicle into an electrical outlet when they're parked at their uh, station. And that can keep a refrigerator system cold on the, uh, uh, and the fluid cold uh, on the paramedic. But we also have designed a small, let's say, carrying case that they can take out of the uh, uh, vehicle to go wherever the person, you know, you might be in an office building or a home where the person had cardiac arrest in order to get the fluid there. So if they decide to go ahead with uh, EPR, they'd have everything they need to do it. Once they've cooled the patient down, well, then, of course, it's just a matter of transport. And in giving that fluid, uh, they have to be concerned about uh, where the uh, any residual blood goes. So we have plans for a cocoon. If they're you know in someone's home, if you put quickly put the patient in a cocoon, that would uh, uh, sort of be a, a a bag that would collect the fluid. If they're on the street, you don't have to worry about it. If you're in a hospital setting, you don't have to worry about it. You'd be on a table that could drain of the blood. If you're a sudden cardiac arrest victim and not a trauma victim that's lost blood, you have to decompress your vasculature when you give fluid, meaning you've got to put a catheter to an, into a vein to remove blood as you pump in the ice cold saline. I don't want to pretend that these, these procedures are easy. They're not easy. But in time, and as we work on now, Right. A lot will be automated um, with ultrasound and decisions made with artificial intelligence for the placement of catheters, for reading the ultrasound, for measuring all the parameters during the cool down, the pump speed, the volume pressure, the temperature. Yeah. Let me ask. Let me ask you this. So is it is it like is it just like um, 
having like a syringe kind of thing and they push down or is it like uh is it like electronic where there's like a monitor and it just kind of does its thing for the for the fluid no you'd be you'd be connected the catheter that is placed in the large vessel let's say the aorta or femoral vessel that would be connected to a system uh uh that's adjacent to where the cool solution is kept sure and for people who don't know the aorta or any of that we're talking about the heart we're talking about the heart and the large vessel that comes off of the heart yes sir you know that all the smaller vessels come off to supply your head your arms and your spinal cord your liver your kidneys uh but the aorta is that major vessel in the chest so no we have essentially a pumping system uh that would connect to the catheter that's placed in the heart in order to flush that cold solution in uh, 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 very rapidly uh, uh, while all the essential monitoring is going on of your of your uh, brain temperature using a, th- a thermometer that's placed against the uh, tympanic membrane in your ear and other temperature uh, of the body uh, uh, can be measured. And so brain waves, fluid pressure, uh, temperature, everything gets monitored and assessed to make sure that the, the patient is at the right temperature and ready for transport. If they're already in a hospital, you know, there will be much uh, uh, easier to do this. And this is happening real time, real fast, right? This is happening real time, real fast. Right now, the clinical trial is uh, it took a number of years to get the FDA to give permission for a clinical trial. It's being done at Maryland Shock Trauma, which is a, uh, a model for a, a trauma center in Baltimore. And uh, there are no additives to the cold saline because the FDA only wants us to check that if you lower the temperature, you can save someone. But ultimately, there are additives that we'd like to go uh, add to the cold solution that may help to protect the brain in particular, and the vital organs, and uh, and make things easier. I was going to ask you about that, just like, just off the cuff. So if, if you're, if you're, I mean, you're basically dead at that point, if your heart's not beating, and but do you start to lose, like, brain cells and, and, and start to lose, like, any kind of... No, um, if someone doesn't have oxygen for seven minutes you're in trouble okay seven minutes okay if you're doing cpr if you need cpr if there's no heart function seven minutes is probably uh as long as you can really go so this is all happening before seven minutes is what you're saying well cpr is being done and maybe cpr is being done for 10 minutes and then you're set up to do epr you want to continue doing CPR until you start that cold flush. You don't want to stop CPR and then sort of put your catheter in and waste time. So, you know, you're continuing CPR. Hopefully there are two paramedics and one is continuing CPR and breathing and the other is getting set up for EPR, getting the catheter in appropriately. And then you do the rapid cold flush. And once you get down to target temperature, you're not use, losing any brain cells for three plus hours. You know, this has been done in, in pigs and large animals that under anesthesia, the animals can get surgical trauma and then they're allowed to bleed out to the point of going to cardiac arrest. You know, a few minutes is they wait and they do CPR on them 
and then they do uh, EPR, and then they uh, recover the pigs, uh, you know, after three plus hours, and they remember uh, what they uh, were trained to do. And when the pigs are autopsied, you know, the organs uh, look normal. Um, so you've tested this on pigs, you've tested it on, I'm sure, other, other animals at this point. Are you in clinical trials at this point? Yes, the clinical trials have started at Maryland Shock Trauma. And, uh, and it's very slow to do the clinical trials, meaning uh, you, you don't see a patient that fits the bill uh, protocol that's, you know, approved by the FDA every minute. So in other words, a patient who gets EPR now, they can only go into cardiac arrest after they arrive at the trauma center. If you go into cardiac arrest in the ambulance and the paramedics do CPR while one is driving you to the, to the trauma center, you're not a candidate for the clinical trial. They want to know when time zero is, when you go into cardiac arrest. And then you have to be fortunate enough to be there when the trained EPR trauma team is on well, I'm call. sure, because they have to be specially trained to do this, of course. Yes, yeah. there's only one team now that's trained to do it at um, Maryland Shock Trauma, the only place in the world where this the is leaders. being done. Right on. Yeah, so you have to, uh, you know, that, that's why it takes time to do the uh, clinical trial. How long have you guys been in these clinical trials at this point? Well, during the COVID pandemic, the clinical trial was put on pause and they've only are restarting now. The reason it was put on pause is because um, many of the patients who are hospitalized with COVID had uh, respiratory problems, lung problems, and they were put on what's called ECMO, extracorporeal membrane oxygenation, where they would have a machine breathing for you and they would have to circulate your blood through that. And so it would require some blood. Believe it or not, I have heard of that. Shout out to my mom if you're watching. Respiratory therapist, one of the best in the world. And so the availability of blood put EPR on pause. I'd like to, if I can, say a little bit about the historical reasons that uh, this is being done. Yeah, please do. In the late 1950s, 1956 is, uh, I think is the date, Dr. Peter Saffer, who was at um, the University of Pittsburgh, he was an anesthesiologist um, at Pittsburgh, but before he got to Pittsburgh, I'm sorry, he was at Johns Hopkins and he invented mouth to mouth resuscitation. Before that, there wasn't adequate breathing in doing, I mean, CPR wasn't really done. They attempted some crazy things with raising your arms to try and inflate your lungs. It didn't work. Um, no one was effectively doing chest compressions and Dr. Saffer, and one of his associates, they invented mouth to mouth, showed that it worked, combined it with effective chest compressions. And Dr. Saffer wrote the book called The ABCs of Resuscitation, which was the model of how to do it. And when he had done that, then in the early, that was the end of the. 50s, that's incredible. Just, to, just, to, just to want to uh, just articulate real quick on that. That's that's incredible. So you're saying CPR has only been around since the 50s or six. That's amazing. If you think about that. Well, the the first defibrillator was only really 
uh, practically used in like 1947, 1948. And there wasn't, you know, really uh, effective CPR. But Dr. Saffer, uh, he was at Pittsburgh now after doing this and putting the book, he formed the first team of paramedics. He took a group of African-Americans, orderlies, and some other African-Americans that he made contact with in Pittsburgh, and he trained them to be the first paramedics, really the first full capable paramedics in the world that now were effectively doing CPR and defibrillating patients. And he called it Freedom House. And in those in the early 60s, of course, um, racial discrimination, it was before 911 was a call. If you had a medical emergency, you called the police. Wow. And white ambulance drivers didn't like to go into black neighborhoods in Pittsburgh and probably in many other cities. So Dr. Saffer uh, formed the first paramedics who were all African-American called Freedom House. If you look this up on Google, Google or YouTube, you can see the history of Freedom House. Dr. Saffer was an amazing man. And, th- and then um, in the early 60s, 911 was started. Uh, and and Dr. Saffer was key in integrating that with his paramedic team. And then many of those paramedics, they went to other cities to form paramedic units there. And one of Dr. Saffer's protégés who helped him uh, uh, train uh, Freedom House was Nancy Caroline. And she went to Israel to start the paramedic service in Israel. In Israel, she's considered she's dead now, uh, uh, considered the uh, mother of paramedics in Israel. Dr. Saffer died in 2003, and I worked with him from 1995 until 2003. And myself and two other uh, individuals who worked with Dr. Saffer, we formed uh, EPR when the the time was right for that. Uh, So Dr. Saffer was really instrumental in all of this. And the reason he, he came up with the idea to do EPR was because the military, if you, if you look back historically over the Vietnam War, uh, Iraq, Afghanistan, 80% of combat casualties, American casualties, dies from massive bleeding. And they go into cardiac arrest. It's called exsanguination cardiac arrest. The other 20% die from severe head injuries or, or, or their bodies are blown apart. But the military said, well, you know, we can't give enough blood fast enough to save those uh, 80% who die from rapid bleeding. So Dr. Saffer said, what about rapid profound hypothermia? In the early days, he called it suspended animation. In the medical literature, you know, it's called suspended animation, but we changed it to EPR. It's like CPR fails, then EPR, CPR, EPR. That's good to know. This is really interesting stuff, by the way. Thank you, everyone, for joining in. Thank you for the uh, – I'm getting some messages through my email. Uh, this is the Blind Knowledge Podcast. I am here with Dr. Lynn Yaffe, EPR Technologies, talking about all things medically wacky at this point. It's 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 a fascinating conversation. I do appreciate the time. Just off-the-wall question, what if someone was not – what if someone was breathing and they didn't need CPR and they were injected with this frozen saline? What would happen? Well, uh, I mean, uh, after you lower the body temperature for two to three degrees, your heart stops. So if your heart stops, you're not breathing. 
um, you know, if you don't have any artificial respiration, once your heart stops, stops, essentially you'll be dead in seven minutes or so, unless you cool the body down to uh, a profound hypothermia. So you've got to, uh, you know, make the choice there. So, who, so to speak. Who, who was the one to find, figure out that if you do all of these steps, you can save a life? Well, I mean, Dr. Saffer at the lab in Pittsburgh, when uh, at the time I was in the military, when I uh, 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 met Dr. Saffer before I started uh, uh, working with him. But uh, really, the taxpayers, the U.S. taxpayers through Army and Navy grants funded uh, this research in the late 1995, you know, uh, um, even beyond Dr. Saffer's death in 2003. And it was done in small animals, and I mentioned pigs. And so it was demonstrated that this could be done successfully in animals. Uh, you show that work to the, that was all published in the literature. You so show that work to the FDA, that it can be done in small and large animals. And there's that anecdotal evidence about skiers that I mentioned. So the FDA uh, took a very long look at it. They wanted to know exactly you know, which patients you would be done, this would be done in, under what conditions. And, uh, you know, and then we sort of got, and then we had to train the teams and whatnot. And, and, and uh, then the uh, COVID happened and now they're starting up again. So, you know, I think it'll take another six to eight months, uh, uh, you know, to do the clinical trial. In one sense, you know, it's not like you say, oh, here's a, a, a cancer patient, uh, I hope this clinical trial, uh, you know, they can use it on a cancer patient and all works. We have to sort of sit on the sidelines at uh, Maryland Shock Trauma and they're waiting for an un unfortunate trauma victim, you know, from even an automobile accident or a gunshot wound, you know, so uh, you're... So they're uh, waiting for a specific uh, circumstance in order to... Right. You have to be in the right age group, have no evidence of head injury, Obviously, uh, they're not going to do it on a pregnant female, but a female and, you know, let's say uh, middle age, uh, you know, 18 or older, um, under 65, uh, who has no evidence of head trauma. Now, why is that? You know, well, they don't want to. The goal is to show that uh, rapid, profound hypothermia can save a life when CPR fails. So we don't want to complicate that by some head injury that may compromise um, the procedures, so to speak. So obviously, if they could read the person's medical record in advance, there might be other things you'd eliminate. But, uh, you know, you, you, but you don't have that luxury, you know. Am I going to read about this in the New England Journal of Medicine? Is this where I'd hear uh, about it? Eventually. I mean, uh, uh, so much has been published about this with a successful clinical trial. You know, the FDA likes to keep a, uh, um, a lid on things until they look at the data. I don't but, know. I did uh, my research uh, and there is a lot on EPR and it's pretty fascinating stuff for sure. Yeah, there, there, there's, there's a lot on it. No, no question about it. But um, it's hard to predict what the FDA will do with a successful clinical trial. And, you know, many trauma centers across the U.S. are anxious to do this because it's one more chance to save a life. And that's what it's all about. And let me ask you something, Doc. I got to know. So let's say it all goes well with the FDA. And let's say they actually approve it. 
what are the base what are the best places and methods and like circumstances i should say or situations where this can be used is it the paramedic is it the trauma unit or is there is it all of the all of the above well with it's ultimately all of the above i think the fda event, uh, uh, first off would say okay do this at trauma centers sure and then maybe they'll broaden it out to emergency rooms and then maybe hospital uh, uh, yeah, floors. Yeah, that makes sense. They'll have crash carts. Uh, but I think relatively early on, they would say, okay, let's explore how we're going to have paramedics do this. Let's look at training some paramedic teams and what equipment they're going to use and how are you going to provide you know, the necessary decision support and communication and artificial intelligence. That's what I think of that could really utilize that as like a car crash or... or... Oh, absolutely. And, and that'll sort of be a separate, uh, you know, review of the F FDA reviewing how paramedics are doing that. And, and ultimately, if everything is approved, obviously paramedics will have to be certified and get special training to do this. You know, the company's working on, you know, what would be required to do that. Uh, through simulation training or, you know, or working, uh, uh, you know, for a while with the team that's already doing it. Yeah, that's amazing technology. Right. I mean, right. where where do you find your information like that? Where where do, where do you read well, about uh, that? I mean, I look at, uh, uh, go online and look at a number of journals. Anyone can go to PubMed, which is the Library of Medicine uh, site. Um, if you just look up PubMed, then you can type in, any any word or group of words and it gives you a list of the uh of the journals and you can restrict it to journals published in 2022 2023 and so you could type in anti-aging and you might get very complicated articles to read or you can go to um uh, uh the more uh, uh general uh sites like uh science daily um, science alert. There's some great um, uh, sites that uh, keep up on uh, important uh, uh, medical advances. Um, it's very so, interesting. Uh, and is this the best place for people to, to read about EPR technologies, EPR slash, I mean, EPR-technology.com? Technology or EPR-technologies, tech plural, singular or technologies. They both go to the okay. same place. All right, perfect, because people should definitely read up on this if they're interested. Um, there are a lot of videos and a lot of information. Our uh, lead trauma surgeon, Sam Tisherman at Maryland Shock Trauma, he did a TED Talk uh, in the past, which is interesting. He gives some details. Uh, he was invited to do a TED Talk, which was very nice. I've done uh, a few other uh, podcasts, which are up on YouTube. Uh, if you type in my name or EPR Technologies, uh, that'll come up on YouTube. If you want history, type in Peter Saffer or Freedom House uh, or Suspended Animation. There's a lot of interesting stuff on uh, YouTube. Wow. EPR Technologies, go check it out, epr-technology.com. Dr. Lynn Yaffe, really, really interesting stuff. Life-saving technology, life-saving stuff. If CPR isn't working, we're going to freeze them, just not frozen, but we're going to put them in a, 
almost an automation kind of thing and and hopefully you know they hang on so it's a beautiful thing hopefully it goes through the fda trials i'm not a doctor but he is and it was really cool to have him on who am i i'm just a podcaster my name is joey b this is the blind knowledge podcast you guys are awesome we will check you next time ta-ta be safe and hey if you didn't tell someone you love them today go do that for sure have a good one bye-bye Cool thing about Blind Knowledge is we are in multiple countries. We are worldwide all across the globe. We are in the US, we are in the UK, we are in Canada, Germany, India, Japan. We're in Australia, y'all. BlindKnowledge.com. Now back to the feature presentation.